What did Jesus teach about money? That's the question we're discussing today on The Hero of the Story, presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of The Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you explore the big story and big truths of Scripture. I'm Aaron Armstrong, and with me, as always, is Brian Dembozik. So, Brian, today we are continuing our survey of Jesus' life and ministry on Earth. We are looking at, um, a, you know, a topic that we actually joked about last week, but we were being completely serious um, because we talked about the joy of, of all of our struggles with prayer. And of course, what better way to follow that up with than a conversation about money? So last week we talked about something I'm just bad at. This week we talked about something I have so little of. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, you know. Don't we all? <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> but in, this is really, um, I, th- I think the reference that we were going for last time was that this makes people so uncomfortable when we, we get to meddling, when we start talking about money. Yeah. But as we know, Jesus talked so much about money. It's It's been often contended that he talked more about money than many other topics. Mm-hmm. Um so this is important. And, and as he says, you know, where where our heart is reveals, you know, our treasure. Our treasure reveals our heart. It goes both ways. And for so many of us, especially in uh, the Western world that we live in, this is a struggle for us because we treasure our possessions. We treasure our money. So it, it's a really timely discussion as always. Yeah. And so today we're going to be looking at Luke 12, 15 through 34. Um, And, um, you know, this is a passage that likely takes place in and around the final year of Jesus' ministry. Um, You know, we're not going to read the whole thing. Uh, Obviously, we'll probably jump into bits and pieces here and there. But uh, how about we kick kick off our discussion just with this, which is what are some questions that we should be asking as we read and study Luke 12? Well, I think one of the first things, as you're looking at Luke 12, picking up specifically in verse uh, 16, uh, so 16 through 21 is where Jesus tells this parable of a rich man, a, a rich fool. It's often referred to at times. Now, the context of this, you have to back up to 14. Uh, actually 13 and you have this man who comes up to Jesus and and says hey teacher tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me and we don't have much to go on there it seems like a reasonable request but it might be right to infer that there was more to this request than meets the eye Um, that this man was looking to use Jesus as a hammer for his brother um, and 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 get his way with this. So so Jesus kind of um, rebukes him, you know, who calls him friend, but then says, "Who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you?" Um, and he warns him, "Watch out! Be on the guard against all greed, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions." So right there is a little bit of a rebuke. Again, we have to assume that there's some greed involved in this request uh, from this man. So Jesus then rolls into this parable, which we're focusing on. And in this parable, he tells about this, this landowner, this, this farmer who has this bumper crop. And so he asks, well, what should I do with this crop? I don't have anywhere to store it. So he says, I know what I'm do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store my grain and my goods. So 
jumping ahead to the big idea of this, this parable, in the end, this man's called a fool by Jesus. And so the question that begs itself from that is, is this, is it wrong to save? Um, you know, was Jesus saying that it's wrong of us to have savings accounts, uh, long-term, you know, money CDs and, and that kind of thing, invest in, in stocks? Is, does this passage teach us that we are wrong, foolish, sinners perhaps, if we do those things? And the clear answer is no, that's not Jesus's point. He is not rebuking savings. He's rebuking the heart of the foolish man in the parable. And again, getting to the supposed heart of the man who came and asked him this question in terms of having a heart that's driven by greed. Um, Notice what happens here. So the man says, I'm gonna build barns, but then what he says next is so important. He says, then I'm gonna say to myself, You have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. That, I think, is the key because notice a few things he does not do. One, he does not thank God for this bumper crop. Second, he doesn't think of any others. He doesn't think, maybe God has has blessed me with this bumper crop so that I can share with others, take the resources, the abundance, and bless others as God has blessed me. So he refuses to acknowledge that God has provided this. He refuses to think of others. And then ultimately, he doesn't think of God. How can I use God? How can I use what God has given me to bring him glory? That is kind of tied in with the very last verse in 21, where Jesus says, that's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So what Jesus is pointing out here is how this man was focused on materialism. And he was going to let this bumper crop be an excuse really for him just to be lazy and indulgent in how he lived instead of using it as a good steward. So is Jesus saying it's wrong to save here? Not at all. But I think there is an important takeaway that we have to wrestle with. And Aaron, this is something I... I wrestle with, we all have to wrestle with. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people really want our faith to be clear, easy, Um, you know, binary, just tell me right or wrong. Um, And there's a lot of binary nature to it, of course. But there's a lot of this, these areas where there's a tension here. And my thinking is we need to learn to delight in this tension as uncomfortable as it is, because here it is. Well, if it's okay to have a savings account, how much is too much? Mm Mm-hmm. Now, as I said, thankfully, I don't have to worry about this at this point, Aaron. You might. I don't. (laughs) Um, I know I don't have too much in the savings. But, you know, there's this balance here, seriousness of, you know, where's that line of saving what is is enough to be responsible? I'm a husband. I'm a father of three. Um, If something were to happen to me, I want to make sure my family is provided for. So there's wisdom here. I believe there's a calling on my life to be a good steward. And part of that good steward is saving enough for emergencies and so forth, longer term savings and just being a good steward. But where's that line where you cross from being responsible to really trusting in your savings rather than God? Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, Aaron, but I think it's not a set number. I think it depends on context. And you and I might have different numbers here where that savings lapses into trusting in in that instead of God. And so I should have grace toward you and you should have grace toward me. Um, And and I think somebody can be wealthy, extremely wealthy even, 
and be honoring God with those resources, just as somebody can be impoverished and honor God as well. So, so there's a, is it wrong to say if not at all, how much is enough? That's a good question to, to wrestle with. Right. And that kind of leads into really the next, the next um, movement in the text itself, where Jesus picks up from, from this and starts talking about anxiety. And he says, uh, says to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or about your body or what you'll wear for life is more than food and the body, more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They don't have a storeroom or a barn yet. God feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than the birds? Can any one of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? If then you're not able to do even a, a little thing, why worry about the rest? And he goes on and he talks about um, considering the wildflowers and uh, the grass of the field and, um, you know, says don't strive about what you will what you should eat um, and what you should drink and don't be anxious for the Gentile world eagerly seeks all of these things and your father knows that you need them. And so, I mean, very often we, we actually take this pa- whole passage and we take it out of, I- out in isolation and we, we take it as a blanket statement around worry and anxiety. Instead, it's, it's part of this discussion about finances and money and how we relate to those two things. So very often what people do is, is they, they will often go for this, this opposite extreme of, um, instead of saying like, all right, I've got, you know, I've got all this cash. I'm just going to live large. I'm going to take it easy. It's well, how do I get more? I don't have enough. I need, I need, and the answer to the question of enough is, well, just a little bit more. And, um, and so when we, when we consider this and what Jesus is saying, um, particularly when he talks about God's provision and, and the father knowing what we need and the, provi- and how the father provides all of these things for, for, um, pieces of creation that, uh, that really have lesser value from a relational standpoint to God, um, but he still loves and cares for how much more will he care for and provide for us. Um, we overreact and we can often start to be flippant about their existence. And so we, we say, well, does this mean we should take them for, for granted? Um, we, and I mean, here's the thing, we shouldn't do that. We, we don't want to assume that, you know, we don't want to presume upon God really. And that's the key thing is God will provide everything that we need, even if it's not always what we want. Um, and we often get those two things in conflict as well, is we assume that, uh, that all of our wants are needs. Like, so for example, um, I need to make sure that I have a roof over my family's head and I need rent money to be able to do that because I don't own a home. Um, but that does not mean that I need to live in the most luxurious apartment possible. Um, now I live in middle Tennessee and just where I live, there aren't really a lot of, 
um, dumpy, broken down 1970s townhomes. Um, and that was actually really hard for my family when we moved here was because we were used to living in dumpy, broken down 1970s townhomes. And so we came here and said, well, where are the crummy apartments? <laughs> and people were like, there aren't any. <laughs> so it's been difficult for us because it's like we're not used to that kind of lifestyle. And so it was a tension for us to be like, OK, does this mean that we're... Um, you know, are we are we violating our convictions around money and possessions and things like this? Or is it just the fact that it's this is what's available to us? Well, yeah, I mean, it's the same discussion as with savings. It's context driven mm-hmm. because we have to understand. I mean, here we are in the United States, you coming from Canada and, and it's the same truth. We are wealthy compared to the world. Mm hmm. You, uh, the joke, the standing joke, first world, pro- world problems. I mean, th- really, even um, the most uh, uh, rudimentary of places to live here in the U.S., for example, would be luxurious in so many other places in the world. Um, to have running water, to, to have um, Wi-Fi, you know, all these things that, that are almost we take as necessities today. So it's, con- it's context-driven. Um, you know, I know a lot of pastors wrestle with this. It's you know, where should they where should they live? And I think a good rule of thumb is is the the average, the norm of your people. So if you are in a church context, I was I was a guest preacher at a church up in the Connecticut area before COVID started. It's the last time I've stepped foot in a church, by the way, since then. Um, and it's a really wealthy community. And so the pastor's parsonage is really nice, but it is on par with the norm of that community. If he were living that parsonage here, even in in central Tennessee, we would probably be like, ooh, you got a good thing going. Um, So it's really contextual of of where we're living, what kind of car we're driving and those kind of things, understanding as well that we, we are, again, we're just extremely wealthy compared to the world. So I, I think this kind of broaches the, the third big question here. And, and we see it as you continue going forward in, in verse uh, 31 following. Jesus says, but seek his kingdom and these things will be provided for you. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights to give you the kingdom. And here it is in verse 33, again, of Luke 12. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. And then he continues. So the question here is, is Jesus in this verse telling us, verse 33, that we are to sell everything we have and live in poverty? If you've noticed, we've kind of followed a progression here. We started with having prosperity, a bumper crop. How do we navigate that? And then we're in this middle ground that you just led us in the discussion of, of Aaron, of kind of the, hey, middle class kind of, we, how do we manage our normal possessions? Mm-hmm. And now we're at the other end of the spectrum. Ought we be in poverty? Is it wrong of us to have possessions? Well, let's be careful. First of all, notice that Jesus here does not say sell all your possessions. Secondly, notice the context. The context here is in trusting God for provision um, instead of trusting in your possessions. There are some other places in Scripture that we could go and proof text to argue that we should be in poverty. 
um, such as, as the rich young ruler. He tells the rich young ruler, there's one thing you lack, so everything you have, give to the poor and follow me. Well, right there, we got two verses then. No, because we have many other verses where God says basically that blessings can come in the form of, of prosperity in terms of finances and, and goods. He, he promises Israel in the Old Testament if they, if they obeyed him, he would give them crops and so forth and homes. And mm-hmm. So the Bible often speaks of, of finances and money and possessions in a positive manner. But what is the Bible consistent about? that we abstain from the love of money. We abstain from putting our trust in money. It's our heart that is that matters. As I said a minute ago, we can love God and be gospel-centered in, in our lives and be extremely wealthy or extremely without. Yeah, extreme and poverty. everything in between. And everything in between. This is what Paul says at the, in Philippians. He's learned to, to live in all contexts. What matters is our heart. What's the posture of our heart? Are we being good stewards of what we've been given? That is what we're after. And you know what? For some believers, that may be selling and living beneath the norm, beneath the average. There may be some pastor who heard what I said a minute ago and say, no, Brian, I don't live the, the, the norm in my church. I, I want to live beneath. And that's great. Um, but it's, it's really driven by the heart, what, where God leads us. And again, this is an area we need to have amazing grace with one another um, because perceptions can lead us astray. If I look at what kind of car you drive, for example, I could quickly go to the wrong thinking and not know the full story behind it and judge you wrongly. And that's where we need to protect our hearts. Yes, absolutely. And... That really kind of leads into our, you know, our typical final discussion, which really is around how do we decide, how do we work through this with other people as we make disciples? And, um, and a big piece of that really comes down to, um, this first idea, which is don't overstate what Jesus is saying. And so there, there's a lot here. Um, we can swing way too far on one way or another, um, we can we can demonize wealth. We can demonize poverty. We can demonize mid- being middle class as well. And like we just said, you can love Jesus. You can serve Him faithfully. You can pursue um, a gospel saturated, gospel centered life in any and all of those contexts. The, the reality is is where has God placed you? And so, um, so we don't want to overstate things here. We want to be really careful um, about that, especially when we look at that middle section with those verses around anxiety. Again, don't take those out of context. They're not just blanket, hey, don't worry and hit people with a hammer. Um, it's we're talking, we're talking about possessions here. We're talking about what you have and what you have to live on. And so Jesus is saying that the Father does provide all that we need. And he often will use ordinary means to do that, like working and savings. And so we live generously, and this is how we want to live. We want to live generously as a response to God's generosity toward us. And so... 
ultimately what the what we we see Jesus teach about money should be freeing to us to be generous to per to um, serve and fund um, causes that that drive the gospel forward into all the world because we we know the one who who provides for all of our needs you know I would say um this this passage, for example, is a great opportunity. And again, as we said, there are so many passages in the New Testament, especially Old Testament too, but especially in the Gospels where Jesus addresses money. So you have many different parts, opportunities to, to deal with this. But our culture is so saturated with consumerism. It, it just plagues our culture. This, And by consumerism, I mean this unhealthy, out-of-balance focus on material goods that are not necessary. Yeah. Um, uh, so many people are prone to this because our culture thrives on it. And I think there are three main dangers that I, I would take this opportunity to help uh, whoever I'm discipling of whatever age, because this this is true across the board. Kids are prone to this as well. Um, advertisers target kids in the same way they do us as adults, and they play on these same three lies. Um, the first thing is is consumerism just robs us of our resources think of the time energy and money think about how long we work to, to as you said a minute ago to get just that little bit more because we mm-hmm. think that little bit more is all we need there's been studies done that you know whatever group whatever bracket you are you think the next one will make you happy will give you enough and guess what that next bracket say same just thing. a little bit more. Same yep. thing. So you're on this, this never-ending treadmill um, where you never have enough. We always flex our living to meet our income. So, um, it, And this is fueled by consumerism because it always taunts that next better thing. Oh, you're in this next bracket? Look what you can afford now. And so think about the drain. Think about what we could do as God's people for the gospel, if we really invested our money, time, and energy into pursuing his kingdom as we do pursuing material goods that don't last. Mm -hmm. This is why he warns, Jesus warns so much about this. The second thing that consumerism does is it it offers us the wrong answer to the longings of our heart. We know that our greatest treasure, the longings of our heart, are answered only in Christ Jesus. Consumerism, consumerism says, no, 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 you can satisfy that heart in possessions. This is why the, the next smartphone comes out and what happens? You need that smartphone. All of a sudden, that smartphone that you've had for six months is no longer good enough. That's you're true. barbaric if you have that smartphone. You've got to get that next. And so you're, you're dissatisfied. Could, companies play on that. They need you to be dissatisfied because here's the, here's the lie. Here's the... Here's the sinister lie. Consumerism tells us this lie that we will be satisfied by that next purchase, and it knows it's lying to us because it needs us to be dissatisfied in that next purchase for the purchase after that. Yeah. This So our hearts are set in this downward, unending spiral of need. We it, Consumerism creates this need to need. The third thing that consumerism does, though, is it really provides a different narrative of our identity. Consumerism says you are what you own. You're somebody if you use that brand of smartphone. You're somebody based on what kind of car you drive. You're somebody based on what clothing you're wearing. 
It's absurd as this. Think about what commercials portray for soft drinks. If you drink this soft drink, the other sex will find you attractive. Look at how much joy you'll have. You know, you'll be sex is successful. You'll be somebody if you just drink this soft drink. It's all it takes is a sugary beverage. It's all it takes. To have the life you want. It's absurd. So it presents this idea of identity. It doesn't tell you the values of the soft drink. It tells you this is the identity you'll have. The problem with this is twofold. One, then identity is a mirage because what we have is always fleeting. And as we said, things go out of style. Um, You know, one tweet from a CEO will make his or her products anathema. And so one minute you can be somebody because you're wearing that brand of watch. The next minute you're wearing that watch. Don't you know what that company supports? So your identity can change just like that. Or you're one job loss away. COVID, look what it's done. So many people are out of work and you can no longer buy certain things to denote your identity. Identity is fleeting. It's a shadow. It's a mirage. This is why the Bible gives us a better story. Because our identity is rooted in the gospel. It's rooted in Christ. It's unchanging. Um, We know our value comes from who we are in Christ and that alone. So consumerism, uh, just real quick, it just robs us of so much. It It distracts us. It destroys. It is so dangerous. And yet we we just, we're so numb to it. We're the frog in the kettle. The water is hot. It's boiling around us, but we don't pay attention to it because we're so used to it. And so this is a good time to snap us back out of this trance that we're in and recognize Oh, what are we? What are we being fed by our culture, and what do we so just blindly shovel in um, and digest, thinking it's true when we're being fed lies? Brian, that's a a really good thought to wrap up this conversation on. Uh, thanks for chatting about this today. This is I know this isn't this isn't a an easy conversation to to walk through and not an easy passage to walk through no. and finances are, are nothing if not something to get people riled up about. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but, uh, but regardless, I think you said some really helpful, helpful stuff here. So thanks. And uh, thank you all for listening to today's episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple podcasts or on whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com.